everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. Uh, I'm having a great time doing these again, and uh, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, great person this week, Dave Osborne. Um, as a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Master Athletic Performance, so visit www.masterathletic.com and by Coach's Corner U, so visit www.coachescorneru.com. Both of these websites and businesses embody my goal with regards to coaching, and that's to raise the bar. So bringing you up you know, with this quality of service that you can expect from a coach and educating coaches on how to raise their standard as well. Uh, Dave, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, pleasure, always something fun I look forward to. Yeah, it's uh, you've been on a few times with Tony and I, and then this is the first time solo podcasting and you've been a busy guy. Yeah, man. Uh, geez, this summer really kind of snuck up on me from uh finishing uh my doctoral dissertation uh back in uh what was that january probably february april mm -hmm. um to competing in victoria bc uh with a couple of my lifters where my lifter tanaya set the women's all-time world record in women's 220 for the Amazing. total and bench press it was crazy That's such crazy. a blast and just to like be there with your athlete while they're doing that you know and just like We've been working together now something like five, six years mm -hmm. and just like seeing someone, you know, you've just gotten to work with from scratch to now be an all-time world record holder. Like just a super special thing to be able to share with like the gym family and my wife and my son who got to see it all happen, you know, nice. really cool stuff. And now we got the uh, online coaches course that we're working yeah. on together and it's, uh, it's going really well. I'm having a blast putting together, um, the PowerPoint presentations and just noting throughout the day, oh, this would be good in this one, this would be good mm -hmm. in that one. So I'm getting excited for uh, getting the script worked up for those for when we start recording. And uh, yeah, just putting out that great content to everyone. It's, um, I always find that it's really fulfilling when you get that extra level of involvement within the process and to be able to, you know, train with your athlete or comp even better to compete with your athlete and see oh, yeah the work that you've both put in on showcase, it's just so much more fun. Uh, there's just, yeah. I mean, the, the, it's an individual sport with powerlifting for sure, but the, the team aspect of it, it's similar to wrestling, right? It's similar to other individual sports that you do have teammates in where it's just that little bit of extra support makes all the difference and you hear your people cheering you on as you get onto the platform right and then you get to like stare out into the crowd as you're watching your teammates put on a show for everyone and just watching people's jaws drop mm -hmm. like it's just such a such a special thing to be able to share with someone and i think that leads perfectly into kind of what i wanted to talk about today is you are you know i, I introduced you as dave but you're dr dave now so credit where credit's due my man <laughs> Um, your doctoral work was in the relationship between coach and athlete, specifically in the online realm, which yes. I mean, I don't know of any other specific research to online powerlifting there has yeah. been. So the first one, you are the guy. Um, <laughs> and what we just finished talking about was those added value benefits of coach athlete relationship that in an online setting are very challenging to create. Yes. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of give a, a brief background and into however mm -hmm. much detail that you want into yeah. what your doctoral research was and, you know, the findings from it. So my doctoral research all kind of started from we have coaches who will do different amounts of like check-ins with their clients online. Yep. Some vary from like, you pay me, here's your 16 week program. I'll see you at the end of it. Right. To like, every time you train, I want to hear from you on that day. Right? right. And so because there's such a big spectrum of communication between online coaching, I really thought there'd be a lot of value if we could research, if there's some differences between the two. Or how much communication do you really need to have a successful coach-athlete relationship with your lifter in an online environment? And through my research, I found out, oh, we actually have these survey instruments that we can use to measure coach-athlete relationships. 
Um, and then we also have survey instruments that will measure um, someone's mood in terms of how they feel before and after in, uh, communication interactions. And so what my committee team had me develop was a study where we would do pre-testing on a coach-athlete relationship that just started online, right? Mm -hmm. And then we would do testing every four weeks for 12 weeks. So we're testing at week four, week eight, and week 12 at the end and see if there was any changes in that coach-athlete relationship. And then at the same time, they had a survey taking software on their phone that would ding when they wake up, 30 minutes before training, 30 minutes after training and before sleep. And what it would ask is their mood, their self-efficacy at the time, their sport motivation in context of the sport, mm -hmm. and then whether they'd have any positive or negative um, events occur during that day is kind of like a control question. Right. And what the data analysis showed was over first with coach athlete relationships over the 12 week online coaching where I was the coach, it showed a significant growth in just 12 weeks on the coach athlete relationship where we were starting around point uh, it's a out of seven Likert scale. And okay. most relationship questions were sitting at like a four, maybe a five on the high end um, with commitment, which was how committed the coach and athlete were to the relationship. So we would expect that to be a little low at the beginning of the study, but it was much higher at the end. Um, and then we had closeness, which was how close the coach and athlete felt together mm -hmm. in terms of looking out for one another and coaches looking out for me. I'm trying to do my best for coach. Um, and that improved significantly as well over the coast course of the 12 weeks. And then we had um, complementary, it's called <laughs> complementarity, okay. um, which is like how well your working relationship is with the athlete, right? Like, do they know how to auto-regulate, how you would auto-regulate on the day? Do they know what you would do in case like this day didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, what adjustments you would make? Mm -hmm. That grew as well as a, as a, over the course of the 12 weeks. So there was huge, significant improvements in all three categories of the coach-athlete relationship over the course of this 12-week online coaching. And how the communication schedule was broken down during the study was it was a randomized um, communication schedule. You had four training days, and each day was randomized whether you would receive coaching before training, after training, or none at all for that day. Okay. And so uh, going into the mood aspect of that, when we did data analysis on all those little surveys, we found that coaching instruction or coaching communication before training or after training had a significantly higher effect on mood than none at all for the day. So we could conclude that, oh, something's better than nothing. For sure. Right. And if you're going to give a coaching communication, if it happens before or it happens after, that's great. As long as you got to interact with your client, right? Roughly, uh, it was, the study broke out to about a, thir a third of the coaching communications had none at all. So a third went to about pre, a third went to about post. So it was pretty evenly randomized. Um, but as long as like two thirds of your training week has communication on it, you're going to see significant improvements in your mood um, and your coach athlete relationships. So not even really every training day, just like if you've put about it in practice, like the important ones, like here's your main lifts, here's some accessory days. If you need something on the accessory day, maybe check in with it. But mm -hmm. really like it's a more communication than just once a week or once every block or something like that. But yeah. it doesn't have to be hand-holding. Right. Like we can have some autonomy in mm -hmm. this online coaching process and it's still a great thing for the lifters. It's also probably super important just in general to have autonomy. Yes, absolutely. And not and not just be like um on rails, right? Doing whatever the coach says for however long and never sure. having that, you know, your own original thought. The measurement of closeness strikes me as interesting because when I think closeness, obviously you think proximity. When you think proximity, you think face-to-face. Yes. Face. Right. So to be able to create closeness through 
the frequency of communication and I think the quality of communication throughout that process would be really interesting. And the fact that the the markers improved over the course of just 12 weeks. And we think about how yes. short a period of tw- is that 12 weeks actually is. It really is. To make that big of an impact to me is, is striking. Yeah. Well, and here's how it kind of boiled down was if we look at like the technical definition of closeness, I had to pull it up, but it's the coach and athlete's social emotional bond. That can be positively or negatively negatively affected by experiences, right? And so even if they have a negative experience, right, if you can reframe it or say, hey, that's part of the process or just normalize to it and like diminish some of the intensity of that negativeness, that still draws you closer together as coach and athlete, right? It's providing that social emotional support and creating a deeper bond with your athlete, Probably more so. You don't even have to always make it like positive and stuff. It's just part of like being available. I almost find those negative events, how you're able to reframe it, strengthen the bond more than the positive ones that you share. Yes. Yes. And then in the uh, online course we're putting together, I call those moments of impact because, right? That's pretty good, huh? Patent pending. (laughs) Because you're, you're absolutely right, Paul, in that it's so much more powerful to take something that could just ruin someone's day Mm -hmm. and just kind of reframe it a little bit, turn it into a learning lesson, turn it into something that's just going to make them stronger afterwards, after we rebuild, after we fix the mistakes that happened. It's funny through all of this, you you have yet to mention sets and reps. (laughs) Crazy, right? I know it's wild. (laughs) <laughs> it's and wild. I, I think i had made that point in like the coaching outside of programming uh yeah. powerpoint that's like the programming's the easiest part of all easiest. this because all you're doing is responding to what your athlete is telling you and as long as you know what's going on with your athlete via your communication schedule i mean it's pretty simple you know if oh this was too hard today you don't make it just as hard the next time exactly you back it off a little bit and you build up again and, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, there's a lot that you can pull from this. The, the, the big thing for me and something that I've tried to do right from the beginning of, of coaching, and this comes from my strength and conditioning background is forming those relationships with the, with the, with the athlete or the client, yes. knowing that you actually are invested in their progress and learning to translate that in-person communication that I had with my, my athletes in the weight room to an online medium and figuring out the frequency of communication that came about, I pretty much landed at, I'm going to have to speak to this person three or four times a week, depending, depending on how often they're training, as long as they can receive their feedback before they perform the same lift again. So when we talk about powerlifting, like that frequency, they're squatting two or three times a week. You don't want them making the same mistakes multiple times. Exactly. And then doing so in a way where the client feels connected to you more than just, hey, great work, head up, chin back. Totally. Asking those leading, hey, how did your session feel? How's the body feeling? You know, everything okay? Checking in with them if you haven't heard from them in a couple of days, that sort of thing. That stuff goes a long way. Totally. Absolutely. And it's like, it's what's the first thing you run out of things to do with online coaching when someone's up to speed? It's probably corrections. There's only so much you're really going to be able to correct once someone's really doing something right and mm-hmm. has good technical mastery. So what's your, what's your job after that? You know, as a coach, it's exactly like you said, it's asking leading questions. It's getting a gauge of their recovery. It's looking for, what part of their training, recovery, restoratives, lifestyle can still be improved to facilitate greater performance. And I think, you know, we're speaking right now in the context of powerlifting, but I think Mm -hmm. keeping this broad, you know, we've got bodybuilding coaches, powerlifting coaches, lifestyle coaches on here. And I coach the whole gamut of, of people And those issues come up with every single person, recovery, stress management, um, life, 
Right? So how do we help them navigate these things within the context of some sort of intervention that we're we're putting forth, whether it be whether it be training, nutrition, both, to help this person navigate, to help this person make better decisions, to help this person become the better version of themselves. The barbell for us is a medium. Yeah. Yeah. Like for for us, that's just the tool that we're using. Right. How do you go about using this information within like I guess a better way to ask this question would be did did the results of your research actually change the way that you coach now? I think um and that was like a that was one of the things my um committee chair James had asked me is like if you did this study cuz originally I wanted to compare <laughs> everyday coaching interactions to once a week and see if there was a difference. And he said, if, if you found out once a week was better than every day, would you do once a week? And I said, no, because oh, yeah. it does. It, yeah. It doesn't work for how I am as a coach, my work style, uh, workflow, all these other things. And he goes, well, there's your answer right there that that's probably not the study for you and maybe change it up a little bit. So if you did have new information, it might be something you'd be worth implementing in practice. And one of the big feedbacks I got was um, the lifters really liked having pre-training coaching interactions because it gave them things to focus on during the session, right? It um, gave them a chance to think about things they may have screwed up or needed to work on in the previous session that they're specifically going to carry into this session. Um, and it kind of gave them goals um, and things to push for within the session. And so I've, um, especially during like competition timeframes, mm -hmm. I really like to get a hold of lifters maybe a little bit before their training sessions or at the beginning of the week and just say, Hey, th these are the things I think we should really focus on this week. Um, coming into this peaking block. These are the things we need to be hammering on recovery um, and your sleep and stress management type stuff, right? And just getting a little bit ahead of the curve so that they feel like, okay, coach is with me on this. These are the things we're working on. We're going to be prepared for, you know, and they hopefully don't have as many um, issues pop up during the competition timeframe. My question to you there would be in terms of, you say proximity to the training session, the pre-training yeah. You mentioned before the block, before the week. One of the big things that I think a lot of people struggle with is the application of research. Yes. I will be fully forthcoming, keeping track of the times of day that all of my clients train to be able to reach out to them and prioritize communication the day Hard. of training every single day. I just don't think it's feasible. So if you're, it's if you're telling me that if once a week I send someone a Loom video, Reviewing yeah. their training week and saying, hey, this this last week was phenomenal. I need us right. to repeat the the emphasis from this last week into this week with an added, you know, checkbox on this, this, and this. Let's yeah. get after it, which takes 30 to 45 seconds. Yeah, it's not bad. If that's going to positively impact people, well, then I'm going to do it. And then in thinking that same thing. If I can do that and then involve the client in the process, yes, have them take their notes, have them, hey, I'd like for you to reference your sheet before your training session right. so that you have those points there. You can remind yourself, again, autonomy, self-responsibility, that sort of thing. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to ask of a coach. Well, and that goes both ways for the client as well and the, the athlete, right, is it's up to them to give you that level of feedback and mm -hmm. that level of response about their training. That doesn't, I'm not sending training reviews for the people that send me like, here's my weight with the video and that's all they sent with the text. Right. right. The people I have to pry information out of like, no, you, I'm going to give you what you give me. But if I have someone who's trying to push themselves as hard as they can, and they're sending me all that information, well, it just makes me want to push that much more. Right. That's the social emotional bond that we're creating here. Cause you're giving to me, I can give back. Right. It's really unbalanced. And un I think unfair to ask for coaches to really push at the highest level for every lifter that they take on when not every lifter they take on is doing the same thing. So I think if the coach and athlete can be on the same page on, Hey coach, I'm giving you everything I've got. 
cool. Way easier for the coach to give you everything they've got in return. But if they're having to pull teeth just to get basic information from you, like it's hard to expect them to want to go that extra mile. I'll even, I'll even expand further. Like maybe that client yeah. doesn't want that. Totally. Like yeah. I, I might a, even just be lost. I have a great example for that too, because so I have a, a client, she's, uh, you know, looking for her first thousand pound total, which yeah. is as if like phenomenal. Huge. Um, she has a very busy, busy day-to-day life and mm-hmm. single mother. She uses her WhatsApp messages to me as a way yeah. to like debrief her day and then how her training session goes. And when we first started working together, I would give her feedback and, and let her, like I would give her what she gave me. Yeah. And I think it was like a month or two in. She's like, hey, you know, you don't need to do this for me. Oh. I do this as a debrief. Yeah. So I really only need your feedback. I'm doing yeah. this more for me. And I was like, huh, do you mind if I give you the feedback? She's like, no, it's very helpful. I just want you sure. to. Know. And I was like, huh. And it happens like it happens more so on the nutrition side of coaching. Sure. Where, you know, clients will just brain dump. And I, I joke, I joke about <laughs> yeah. this because like, you want to know about someone's psychology, take away their food. Oh, totally. And they're in that low caloric state. And low just calor- low calories, and like brain goes nuts. But it's like, what level of actual emotional support does this person need versus yeah. what are what do they expect from you? And yeah. I think clarifying those expectations right off the bat of like, hey, this is what I would like from you so that I can do my best work. If yes. you don't want that from me, let's open up a conversation with what you need. Right. Um, so one thing that I actually include in my intake forms is what type of coaching do you respond to best? And what would you mm-hmm. expect from your coach? Yeah. In a lot of cases, people don't necessarily know how to answer that because they've never had sure. a coach that, that might be as involved as I am, but right. it gives them the opportunity to reflect and say, well, like, what do I really want here? Yeah. Because I feel like you and I might be similar where like, I want to be able to bounce every idea I have off my coach and let them yeah. know exactly what's going on. Because I mean, as you get more advanced, the issue starts mattering. It starts to matter. Yeah. Um, but I just find it really interesting. Like all I listen to the research and I'm like, okay, that make it's almost validating, right? It's like oh, sure. I'm doing the yeah. right things. <laughs> but it also gives me a little bit of a break that says like, Maybe, maybe people don't need it as often as I'm giving it. And sure. now I'm thinking in the back of my head, like maybe I should be asking more questions about what people need. Well, and I think too, like needs change over time. Fair, and so you have fair. someone early on and you have to guide and do everything for them, right? Just to get them up to speed. Um, and then once they're where they need to be, yeah, those needs are definitely going to change. And I think it's kind of like, it like goes back to that conversation of you're not just correcting form anymore. Now you're trying to get a feel for what their lifestyle factors are that affect recovery. Um, you're starting to ask more probing questions to the athlete, right? You're tr- even trying to like figure out like, how did that feel on your back? How difficult was that movement? Right. As you're looking towards like what progression is going to look like mm-hmm. and how do we get to the goals we've outlined for ourselves? Um, yeah, it's I think as mastery improves and increases, so is so is autonomy. Right. Because yeah. now your clients, your, your athlete is your best source of information because they have that mastery, because they have greater autonomy. Their feedback then becomes that much more important. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, when we're talking about creating a, creating an environment where communication is open and honest, yes, that, that involves a, like quite a bit of vulnerability on the part of the, the athlete. Yeah. So yeah. you as a coach need to be inherently vulnerable in some aspects as well. Right. One thing that I do is I try to learn, like, do my, does my client have a dog? Do they have a kid? Sure. Are they married? Kids something. Right. Yeah. Are they, when's their birthday? Yeah. These are people. Right. And uh, from a business perspective, as a business, 
as a business owner, you're essentially in all of your interactions with people and in all of the processes that you put forth, you're trying to distance yourself from a transaction. Yes. And as soon as someone feels that they are part of something that is beyond an exchange for, of money for, for goods and services, yeah. your retention rates are going to go up and the results of that client are going to go up as well. Absolutely. They fully bought in. Now they're part of the community, right? They have a sense of uh, belonging, accountability, support, uh, like-minded peers. They, they're seeing people just like themselves achieve amazing things. Right. And it puts that seed in their minds. Well, so-and-so can do it. I can do it. I have all the same skills that they have. I have the same coaching they have. I have the same community they have. Right. Just everyone raises up together. Couldn't agree more. Dude, the, uh, the, this, these sorts of conversations to me are really interesting because there are coaches that do it. I, I hesitate to say the right way because I don't necessarily believe that there is a right way. Because no, there's I, your way. There's my way, yeah. which is the right way. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, the reason I say that is because I know of some very successful coaches that do a phenomenal job, but they only check in once a week. Sure. Um, I know some other coaches that actually don't have structured check-ins, but they speak very often and maybe right. issue training once a week. Um right. I know some coaches who issue training four weeks at a time, but we'll iterate yeah. if did. Uh, but there's a lot of ongoing conversation and things like that. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But totally. it's all about understanding what the client needs, what your specific workflow is. Like personally, yes. yes. if a client doesn't want to talk to me, I don't really want to work with them. Totally. Because I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really hard to train a robot that doesn't talk, doesn't give feedbacks, emotions, right? And you're just like writing spreadsheets. And like we've said, like writing spreadsheets is dumb and boring and easy. It's not, it's not a challenge. It's not fulfilling in any way, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, well, if, if all you're using me for is technique checks and now there's no reason to get technique checks because it's dialed in for however strong you are, like it, it just seems like a better use of both people's time. Yeah. <laughs> like you could find, like go get a program. I'll get a different client and, and we both win. Yeah. Pay me for a consult once in a while when you oh, want. Yeah. Something like that. Totally. So if I'm, if I'm a client looking mm -hmm. for a coach, it comes up a lot. Like, what do I look for in a coach? What I think you, people, I, you know, I think it's a product of when I came up in this sport and who was around and what the tone was. But I think the first thing you should check for in a coach outside of like, are there athletes accomplishing things is what do they do? Do they live the walk? Do they do the talk? Do they struggle with anything or do they just seem perfect in every single way? Right. Like you're talking about making human connections with people. I think when we talk about vulnerability as culture, as coaches, you know, I'm telling a client to reframe a terrible session. It'd be really great if I could talk about a time I reframed a terrible session and what I had to do to come out of that and what benefits I got out of it later. You know, and you're going to be around people if you have them for a long time. They lose spouses, they lose parents, they lose pets. You know, people suffer real, real loss in their lives. Mm -hmm. And you are a supportive authority in that person's life. And you sure. need to be able to have some sort of emotional um, experience to be able to draw on and empathize, but also reframe and get people back on track towards what they're, what we're all holding each other accountable to do. Yeah. The like, I, I hesitate to use the word red flag, but like the things that I sure. would look for that, you know, would kind of turn me off as a, as a client looking for a coach. And like, I mean, I work yeah. with a coach right now, so I can tell you exactly yeah. what I was looking for. I was looking for expertise. Number one. Yep. It's like, does this person have the tools that I need to solve the problems that I have? Yeah. The next was, what's this person doing? Like, is this person walking the walk? Like I want someone that understands hard training. I want yes. someone who's achieved a level of success that I, maybe not that I necessarily aspire to have, but that is in line with my goals as well. 
Yeah. Um, funny story. My coach is female. Sure. And that didn't play a role in my decision, actually. I think it's really important that we continue to really highlight how many amazing female strength coaches there are, right? Because it's definitely something where, you know, we as coaches of leadership and position now need to be opening the way up for others, right? And opening that gate wider and continuing to push content of, hey, have you seen Casey Romero? Hey, have you seen Tasha Whalen? Hey, have you seen Olivia, right? We have all these amazing coaches that are female, right? We need to make sure that everyone's getting, you know, equipped and put placed with a coach that's going to be the right fit for them. And it's not something where you have to take, you know, this big bearded power lifter or whatever that you really don't identify with because that's the only coaches available. I think I lost clients in the past because I have hair. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) This this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no fucking clue. He's got the beard. He's still got hair though. So he's he's, he's slacking. Um, But yeah. So when I was looking to work with a coach, like I gravitated towards Danny because yeah. Elite level. Oh yeah. Elite level powerlifter. She's, you know, she's an IFBB pro physique competitor, doctor of physical therapy. Yeah. And I knew like the issues that I'm having with my hip and knee, I knew she was the one who probably had the tools to solve it and allow me to do the things that I want to do. Um, and funny enough, we talk about the changing relationship between coach and client. When I first started working with her, I wanted to compete in powerlifting again. Mm-hmm. My, right. my values have changed. My priorities have changed and that's not necessarily the goal that I'm after now. So that is a conversation that we've had and is ongoing because I know she's open to those conversations. And that's the sign of a good coach is they can kind of sense like, I don't think your goal is quite right for where you're at right now. What if we found something that still takes care of that itch and gives you something to push for, but is more aligned to what's really feasible for you to do right now? Yeah. And that's exactly it. And I actually have a funny question for you. (laughs) So, you ready? I always. Do you think that people view you as a coach first or as an athlete first? Um, my ego would love it if they viewed me as an athlete first, mm-hmm. because that's that's how I kind of view myself. Is the more I push myself athletically, the better it makes me as a coach. Hundred percent. And the higher tier kind of um, athlete I can work with. And mm-hmm. really have, feel like I'm valid in saying this is my experience at a high level. This is what I think is appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hold the anecdotal very, very high in terms of you need experience competing at a high level. And I've done that. And I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm proud of where I'm at. Um, but I, I would imagine at this point, most people just see me as, see me more as a coach. Yeah, someone uh, someone brought up the other day. They're like, "Oh, I always saw you as a coach, you know, more so than an athlete." And I'm like, "Well, that transition yeah. happened without my permission." <laughs> <laughs> We're about um, to throw hands. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, but again, like you, like it's the ego would love it yeah. if I was an athlete first. But I know that at this point in my career, like I've competed at the highest level, and I yeah kind of in that position where I'm putting that aside right now, but how do you as a coach manage Mm -hmm. competing at a high level and also pushing yourself as a coach? I I look at it as continuing education, right? Like this is, this is what I am. I'm a professional coach, right? And so my day is structured around things that are going to make me a better coach. And that's taking care of my body and training to the highest degree that I can, right? And training and pushing my lifters and leading from the front as a coach. And that's one of the big things um, I tell the coaches I work with is we're here to lead from the front. How are you gonna tell your client to hammer their nutrition if you're not hammering it at the same time, Yes. right? Like it, it, it. the last thing you wanna be is a hypocrite when you're trying to make someone make big lifestyle changes and the best way to get it to happen is just show like, come on, I'll do it with you. 
we'll do it together. I'm your support. You're supporting me, right? We can hold each other accountable to, I took my morning walk, right? This morning, got my sunshine, made my breakfast, had every, got all my supplements in, uh, did my meditation times, did my chores around the house. You know, I've got a full schedule that I keep for myself mm -hmm. um, on days when I'm going to be doing uh, uh, coursework, right? And creating that content. Um, days I'm doing Q and A's, I have my training days all laid out, right? Like I try and lead from the front in terms of this is a schedule for a lifestyle performance. This is kind of what it looks like. Let's see where, what areas are feasible for you to bring up and how high we can bring them up and maintain them. Yeah. You're a product of your product. Yeah. And, and that's, that to me is, is what I strive to be. And in, in bringing it back to the comment about me being a coach first versus an athlete first. Yeah. I'm still an athlete. I might not be yeah. competing anymore, but I still train my ass off. I show people that I am pursuing the same level of excellence that I hope that they are pushing themselves towards. Absolutely. And well, not well, there might not be that objective competition payoff in the future. The right. process is the same. Well, and like, and it also too, like if you look at going back to continuing education, the things that make you a better coach make you a better athlete. If we For look sure. at sports psychology reading, right? If we look at getting better at our meditative states or our breath work or all these things that are going to make you a better coach because you can then show it to others are going to make you a better athlete at the same time. And hey, so they really, they go hand in hand a lot of the same, a lot of, a lot of the time. I think the moment you, as a coach, the moment you stop pushing yourself, yeah. you might as well retire as a coach. Like yeah. the moment you stop pushing the level of performance that you can reach, it's all, it, even if it's not competing, it's got to be something. You, you've got to stay busy. Plus, you can't, man. You can't, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say this. If any of my clients come train with me, I'm going to fucking bury you. Yeah. Oh, I'm not training to lose. Fuck no. No. No, like I, we're gonna we're gonna work hard and we're gonna get messed. I trained legs with one of my clients on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. The, sound, the sounds that came out of his mouth on the leg extension <laughs> made my day. It's the it's the best because neither of you are gonna quit. No, you're each gonna give everything you have to that session. And so as long as I can keep doing that, yeah. And let's be fair, my knees hurt like crazy. Oh, but sure. If you say, Paul, let's squat together. I'm going to crush you. Yeah. I'll cripple myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already front loading ibuprofen before the session. Yeah, right? We're, we're going <laughs> to fucking rock. Um, so you have the pleasure of owning your own gym. I do. Quite and, the pleasure. Yeah. And you get to work with a lot of people in person. I do. Yes. One thing that I firmly believe in is that even if you are an online coach, you better keep your sword sharp. Yes. And so even though, I mean, let's face it, coaching online, much more lucrative than coaching in person. Sure. I will always coach in person at least I, five, like three to five hours a week. I have to have it. I yeah. have to have it. Um, just like you said, right. It's keeping your sword sharp. It's all the subtle um, facial cues, right? And body language. And just there, there's nothing better as a coach than having something either going perfectly the whole time and you're riding this huge momentum for the training session, right? Or having something be a little off and then immediately fixing it. Mm -hmm. within that training session, right? And just seeing the change and seeing the look in someone's eyes of, oh, I was screwing that up. Oh, it feels radically different now. And right. And just seeing light bulb moments happen in real time. Like that's food for your soul as a coach. And it, it's just not the same online. You can still get a lot of great stuff with asynchronous sure. communication and online coaching, but the the in-person stuff, it's just why it's the same reason why meet days are the best days for coaching. Right, like competition day, you just can't beat it. It's the energy in the air and it's the people around you. Um, and I've this is this will be 10 years uh, in July that I've had the gym open now, so my first decade. 
That's, that's huge. huge. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty big. I mean, we started in my parents' two-car garage with two racks, two bars, some bumper plates and sandbags, right? And now it's a 6,000 square foot um, facility with turf and pendulum squats and three monoliths and full sets of competition plates for everyone, right? And just the way it's been able to grow um, throughout my decade in this sport is it's, it's incredible. And I, I catch myself walking in in the morning, right. When I get there and just looking out across my gym, right. And just like, it's such an amazing thing to have um, that was just built by the wonderful clients that I've been able to have over the years. I love that you said that because I think it, I think it might go unsaid too often how grateful sure. as a coach you are for your clients. I mean, it uh, for these these are people I see week in, week out, all year round, hours a week. Uh, it, it's it's like a family. We we always joke, you know, we we'll just say out loud when we're all having fun or anything like that. It's not a cult. Um, but like it's just i'm so thankful to have such an amazing community that we've been able to create together that's welcoming i'm always so proud of how much they help others when we show up at meets and just the attitude and presence we have as a team um i i just think we have the best team in this silly little niche sport um, just cause we're here to help. We're here to make everyone's day better. And we're here to win and show how good we are. And I've had these lifters from just our podunk town in Wenatchee. Now, now Susan's top 40, 148 all time, right. That's as a, cool. yeah, as a master's lifter and Monica's about to crack her one K total and Robin's getting ready to do two K. And these are just people we've worked with in town and just gotten insanely strong. I think I have um, six elite lifters that we've grown for, at the gym. That's so cool. It's it's wild. It's just, it, I would never have thought um, I would be able to do it in the town that I live in, right? It's like 30,000 people. Um, but just to be able to like really meet these incredible friends and teammates, it, it's just such a, it's such a blessing to be able to look at. How do you transfer that sort of community mm-hmm. and that sort of camaraderie and, and teammate atmosphere yeah. to an online space? I think it matters a lot um, how you use your social media. Because okay. uh, you're going to have to have either a Discord channel, right? Or um, one of the things I'm going to work on for later this year is I call it Ops Nation. And that'll be my Instagram broadcast channel. Okay. Everyone will be able to just pop into that and just look at things we're talking about. Um, and kind of I my lifters have done a really good job of all following each other and keeping up with everyone because now we're getting to the point, right, where we're getting to meet each other at meets. So it's such a blast. So I have my core team at the gym, and then we have all our ops lifters throughout the world right? Who you never know what meet you're going to be at. And so that was great. This last Victoria meet in Canada, having Tanaya come up Mm -hmm. and then um, we've got the American pro where I'll have Tanaya and Matt Draper and Mookie Simon and Dustin Keek. So I'll have lifters all day there. I'll be on the same team, getting to hang out and have community with each other. Um, We have a meet in uh, end of July end of July over here in Washington where I've got 12 lifters competing and it's about, I think 10, nine or 10 from the gym and the rest from outside of the gym that we're all going to meet up over there. And so, you know, we get to get Airbnbs together. We get to go out to dinner together and everything like that. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. You think about, you know, hurting cats at the gym. Now you're hurting people socially and that's a whole you know, another skill set to be able to grow. Right. I was like, okay, who's calling restaurants, right? To get reservations and stuff like that. But we get better as it at it as a team every time we do it. And we got great lifters out of Tri-Cities that come and lift with us with Nate and Kayla. Um, and we're just, it's such a fun thing to be people with lifters that we've been doing local meets forever. And now that we're getting really good, we're getting to travel and branch out and be able to go to Vegas, you know, Washington, DC and all these 
fun little places as a team and get to experience that together. Dude, I love it. Uh, and it's, <laughs> things that, it's things that I try to preach. I say, I, I choose my words really poorly sometimes. I hate that word. Preach? <sighs> you know, like thumping them on the head with that Bible and just fucking listen before the brimstone comes down. I mean, no, <laughs> I can't. I think you'd look great on a pulpit. I think I would burst into flames if I walked into church. A little bit, maybe a, a little, little bit. bit. Um, things that I try to espouse to those that I work with is doing the things that you would do or that make you special, that set you apart and bringing other people into that. Yes. Um, you know, the person who comes to mind for me is, you know, Mike De La Pava, who Okay, yeah. You know Mike, right? Yeah, Battle, Battleground, right? Battle Axe, yeah. So Battle Mike, Axe. <clears throat> Mike's gym is oh, in, it's, looks, it's, it's his own work. It's, it's another planet, okay? Yeah, the man. Time I was there, there were 35 people in the gym, and the gym is, is 1,200 square feet. <laughs> so they're just packed in. Packed in there. But everyone is either spotting, loading, or lifting. Yes. He's got everyone outside doing their warm-ups on stopwatches and like it's a well-oiled machine. And, you know, we, we were talking, he's one of my best friends and we were talking like about the online coaching game. And I was like, if you could figure out how to create the same community that you have with these four walls in the online space, you'll never yeah. have to worry about money again. No, no, and he's so, so engaged as a person. He's so engaging, right? Like I remember listening to his table talk and just thinking like, this is one of the best table talks I've heard. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can see it. Like when you even look at his social media and just how everyone is in the gym, like you can see like, Oh, that's one of the country's best gyms to be able to go to. And that's, that's something that he's worked very hard at is that transition yeah. to the online space. And I think if anyone could take a lesson here is that community is what's going to keep people around. Yeah. And, and, you know, you want to talk about community. I think a big part of that is the leadership structure within the community yep. and being the kind of leader that's going to raise up other leaders within your community, because they're going to be the ones responsible, right, for really welcoming others. You know, sure. head coach is going to be drawn in a lot of different ways. But if you have little assistant coaches here and there or your elite lifters, and that's what I do at our gym, right, is we tell people, if you want to use the calibrated plates, total elite, right? And that's your, that's what you get to use then. You get to use calibrated and it gives people a little bit something to shoot for, but also lets them know that the elite lifters have really done something special and something that's earned them a place in the hierarchy of the gym. And if you want to get there, look up to these people because they're the first people to give you that hand to bring you up with them. So you're gatekeeping is what you're saying. It's benevolent, benevolent gatekeeping. Like everyone gets into heaven. No, you got a couple angels at the front, right? Like keeping the riffraff out because some people do take away from your community. I agree. And it's important for you to recognize those people before they infect, right, the community atmosphere and start turning it into a negative thing. And if that does happen, right, that's another moment of impact where you as the leader have to come in and either turn this person around right? And help them with reframing and give them more resources or just say, Hey, I don't think it's going to work out for you here. And that's a hard thing to be able to, it's just like dropping a client, right? It can be a hard thing to do sure. if you're worried about your financial stability. Yeah. That, that, I think that's another, another podcast topic in itself is like discussing, you know, oh, sustainable bro. finances. Yeah. Um, it's an area where a lot of people make mistakes, but uh, I want to circle back to, being a product of your product. Yes. Setting this, setting the standard for which you want your athletes to hold themselves to. Um, you and I chatted years ago and I remember getting off that podcast and I was like, I think Dave needs to diet. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm giving credit where credit's due here. You have done a complete 180 in Thank that you. regard. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering, like, so obviously that wasn't an overnight thing. No, I mean, it's taken my whole life. So what, like, what was the, what was the progression here from, all right, I got to do something to actually putting the wheels in motion? I think 
Um, a lot of things started to change for me when I really got serious about pushing for my 2K total. But it was at the also the same time we were just coming out of the pandemic and Susan and Robin Graham, which are lifters of mine, Susan's on IFBB pro. Um, and she really started taking off in terms of powerlifting, right. And just putting insane her Robin, both. I mean, they've put hundreds of pounds on their totals of already strong people mm-hmm. in a, two years coming up on three years, right? Like insane amounts of progress. And it's because their diet and their recovery and their restoratives are perfect, Mm. absolutely flawless. And it's consistent. And you just kind of see the effort that these people, these good friends of yours are putting in and it just starts to make you believe in yourself a little bit more. Right. And, um, I, I had lifters, uh, that were getting nutrition work from you, nutrition work from Tony. Um, and I started seeing a little bit better examples of carb cycling, right? Um, versus like what I had originally read in like fucking carb backloading. Oh, that was the best diet that was the ever. Yeah, Paul. It was so good. <laughs> That's why I did oh. college was carb backloading. It was amazing. I blew up to like 270 for like pizza and ice cream post-workout. Oh man, all the fresh bakery goods too. Yeah. But have your that... caffeine with it. Have your caffeine. Yeah. Very important. Oh my gosh. And and as saint as insane as some of that protocol was, like it worked. And it worked pretty decent for a lot of people. My youngest brother, who's very lean, had just a rocking eight pack on that and was throwing down 700 grams a day, just natty, right? No problem on his high carb days. It was just super impressive, right? Um, But then, you know, I got away from the diet stuff and I just started pushing more and more calories. And so when I wanted to get serious for 2K, um, I just started implementing a little bit more discipline right okay do i track protein no well let's start with tracking protein and i make sure i get 320 grams a day right and then from there okay well let's see what calories i'm at um and when i started i was at 3,000 calories a day and i would hold at 330 pounds body weight that's ridiculous it's it was really bad and it's because i had yo-yo dieted my entire life getting ready for marine corps weigh-ins uh neck tapings right all this kind of, i didn't remember doing the velocity diet which was that oh, all liquid bio test diet shakes and fiber all day yeah man and it ruins your teeth because you get so much plaque from never eating any food mm-hmm. but i dropped from 250 to 204 on that diet right and so i had just i had tons of experience dropping weight really rapidly but never really building it up great and never really recomping that great and never really seeing what you guys do with your nutrition coaching which is push calories Mm -hmm. and as your metabolism adapts you can push calories higher and higher and higher and then you'll have more energy for higher outputs which then pushes the calories right and so i started having energy for walking 10 minutes after every meal and then I started having energy for doing some more accessory days on top of my training days. Um, and so it's all built to the point now where I went from in my 2K prep training two days a week, a deadlift bench day and a squat bench day, no accessories, right? To now I train two SBD days a week, a deadlift, a bench and a squat on Tuesday, a squat, a bench and a deadlift on Saturday. And I do um, four accessory days throughout the week. So I'm training six days a week now, still doing my walks. Now my calories are at 6,200, right? And I can still- job. Yeah, well, yeah, but now I sit at 300 pounds. So I've dropped, at at my biggest house, 349. Mm -hmm. So I've dropped about another 50 pounds of body weight, um, which has its effects, right? On like my squat and stuff like that. It doesn't feel the same. I'm still building it up, but my bench is just as strong. My mm-hmm. deadlift is really just as strong as it's ever been. So I'm only down on the squat. Um, I feel better. Uh, just the energy levels are so much higher. Like um, my, even my ability to like focus and create content and do like schoolwork and stuff like that really benefited from just having better caloric intake you know, to fuel, fuel myself. Um, and it's, it's taken a long time to build it up to where it is now, but I'm 
really freaking pumped about it. Yeah. It kind of feels like, oh, I can kind of justify my size because this is the calories I eat now. And my body composition is better than it's ever looked, even when I was like 169 pounds, right? Well, I mean, even even so, so say your, say your calories are at 6,200. Yeah. You all of a sudden decide you don't want to be 300 pounds anymore. Yeah. It'd be so easy to drop your calories. Piece of cake. Oh, I get to lose weight at 5,500 calories a week. Oh, darn. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I'm glad we got into that because I think sharing a little bit of our humanity here, like, yeah, that's part of it. It's part of coaching. You don't want to be, and it's something like I interviewed, I interviewed Liv in the first episode of the podcast. Interviewing your wife's really hard, just FYI. Um, But she she mentioned something about she wouldn't want to be in a position where she felt like her coach was perfect because she wouldn't feel comfortable sharing any of her weaknesses with the coach. Absolutely. So letting your clients know like, Hey, this is what I'm working on because this is an area of weakness that I have. Yeah. And now you're seeing the the positive outcomes from it. It's it's been, I, I honestly can't believe how strong I've stayed throughout the whole process, how much more I can do, not just physically, but mentally too, how much more like resilient to stress it makes me, all these great things. Um, and that's literally what I get to share with my lifters now who are, who are struggling to do it and just giving little easy ways to level up and just hold them accountable. Right. And just provide that support there for them. Mm-hmm. And we all get to have the same experience and success to, together. And I think that's something really special too, is the people who inspire you in your social circles. A lot of times, you know, they'll know, right. They've heard you say like, Hey, the way you push, it really inspires me to push too. Yeah. And I think there's something really special about someone that knows you're an, that they're an inspiration to you. And then they give you that feedback of, Hey, you're looking great. Hey, mm-hmm. you're doing awesome. Hey, you you are clearly doing all the things you need to be doing to achieve your goals. And having that recognition from them, it just recycles all that motivation, right? And all that forward push. Like when my wife comes, comes in, you know, from work and just says, wow, Dave, you look awesome today. Like I'm beaming floating on the air the rest your of your clothes day, are coming off like this yeah oh they're i mean they're already off because i'm at home but <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you must drive your wife nuts oh i drive her bananas bro she's a saint she's a social worker so she's used to like hard cases and stuff like that so i think it helps <laughs> There are no words. Like there's so many oh, words right? you could have gotten good. that one. Oh man, dude, thank you so much for the chat today. Um, thank let's, you. Let's let people know about this online coaching yeah. certification. So I approached you with the idea because you're the doc, you're the guy. Um, so this online coaching certification on my end is focused on business, how to yes. set up your business, how to structure your processes, how to turn yourself from a person who coaches people into someone who runs a coaching business on your end. What are we doing? On my end, uh, it is on the communication requirements and ways you can set up your communication scheduling as a coach to best facilitate improvements as a business owner, right? Improvements in your clients' outputs and performances. Um, Some of the topics we've got for the communication side is uh, presentations on autonomy, supportive coaching, coaching outside of programming, uh, the competition phase of training and what unique um, uh, unique aspects of that there is in regards to coaching, how to create coach-athlete relationships online, how to facilitate performance online. Uh, onboarding new athletes and then key performance indica- indicators to keep track of with online coaching. I love it, man. This is going to be an all encompassing thing and I'm really excited for what it's going to, what it's going to come out as. So Dave, again, thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining. Um, if people want to find you, where are you at? They find me on the Instagrams at Dr. D R 
Dave at Ops. Uh, and you can find uh, my gym page at opsgym.com. And that also has a link to our apparel store, uh, which is shop at ops, A-T-O-P-S.com. Uh, there's a theme. <laughs> and uh, we're about to release some summer apparel in the next couple of weeks as well. So make sure to stop by the store and get your summer of Dave tank tops. Do you have Speedos? Working on it. You know, like the hard thing is finding a good American manufacturer, right? That's going to, you know, give you the sexy thought wear for the summer, but also make it available in extra swole sizes. So you can be a dump truck daddy on the beach. Hugest dump truck daddy with a giant ops logo right over that starfish. (laughs) Dude, thanks so much. Thank you, Paul. I had a blast, man.